So we're looking now in the Revelation 3, continuing our study in the Revelation. Uh, and we've come to the church at Sardis, the fifth of the seven churches. Sardis uh, was an interesting city. Uh, they all have their specific interests. Now let me remind you that there's, there are seven churches. Seven is the number of completeness or fullness, especially as it's presented in the Revelation because it's everywhere. There are seven of these and seven of those and seven that and seven this. Um, the seven churches, first of all, continue to present the... Um, the manifestation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it's a gift from the Father to the Son that He may show the church all who He is and what He does. So each of the churches are introduced to Christ in a, in a separate and different um, description. And the description of Christ to each of those churches is fitting to the need or the situation that Christ mentions with regard to that particular church. However, you and I understand here that Jesus is giving us some more facts about who he is. He's unveiling himself even more, manifesting himself, revealing himself as his revelation more. And so we're given more, uh, more um, truth, more truths, and ex continues to expand and may I say, we will spend eternity uh, seeking to all there is to know about our great God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and even into the ages, we'll never, we'll never exhaust it. Sardis the city is inland. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's built on a high cliff, and it was the capital city of Lydia. It was seen to be invincible and impregnable because of the high cliffs on either side. And if an enemy tried to come against Sardis, he would, he would be picked off. There was no way he could scale those, those cliffs. All of us as children, I'm sure, have heard the story of King Midas, who had the golden, the touch, everything he touched turned to gold. That story originated in this city, um, Sardis, because the city is known for its wealth. It is the wealthiest, the wealthiest of, of all of the city. They all had a degree of wealth. This city, they had the Pactolus River that ran nearby the city. The Pactolus River was full of, uh, of gold. And whenever they wanted, <laughs> whenever they wanted to increase their treasury, all they had to do was go out and Get some gold out of the river. Coinage, the, the concept of coins began here, originated here, was invented here uh, in Sardis. So it's an, interesting, it's an interesting city, very wealthy, but it's a city with need. And it's a city that has a church, the church of which has need. So let's look at this in verse 1. And to the messenger... Of the church in Sardis, right. Let me stop there. One of the things I think that the Lord has done for us <clears throat> in, the, in the pandemic 
and in our willingness to um, be separated from one another. And the only, the only reason I see that it has any value is because we care for other people and we don't want to infect other people. Um, there comes a time when we get tired of people telling us what to do and where we can go or where we can't go. And that time is getting near for a lot of people. But for right now, we're caring for other people. And we've been enclosed. And yet, and yet the church continues. The word, the word church, we're not, we're not accessing the building like we have always for Bible study and for uh, Sunday school and for church training and for ministry meetings uh, and, f and for fellowship meetings and, of course, worship services. We hadn't done it for weeks, uh, and yet we're still the church. Here we are. We're gathered together because that the word church, the church, is, is and it's something, I'm sure you know this, but it's not the building, it's the people. Ecclesia, it's a Greek word that's translated church. Um, and here it's, 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 uh, it's in the genitive, it's uh, ecclesias here, ecclesias. But the root is ecclesia. Ek is out from, and kaleo means to call. You've heard me probably preach on this before. So the church is the, the, the word properly means the called out ones. Now, for some reason, a few hundred years into the uh, existence of the church, especially after the time of Constantine, the word, uh, the word curioicus, uh, crept in. Curioicus is, curios is Lord, oikos is house. Lordly house or Lord's house. That, uh, that became uh, a word that people thought of before they thought of ecclesia, which means called out once. Now, curioicus, that, that, that references the building or the place and uh, the word circle comes from, or circumference comes from that Greek word, a circle is an enclosed area. So, or circus is a designated place. Now, the word then, in the, in the mindset of so many people, a few hundred years into the existence of the church, became more focused on the place rather than the people. Well, if anything has been taught to us during this time, it is that the church is the people. Here we are, we're, it's a little strange, we're online, uh, and some of us don't access these, these uh, video things. Some of us have to do it later. We can't be live at whatever time we do something, but I've noted that people come in and check in on Facebook and, and uh, access something that we may have done a few hours earlier, but they're still there. That's really, that's really interesting and really strange. The church is still the church. Uh, in the sense that we are the called out ones. We, ek, 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 kaleo. Ekkelesin is the Greek word that's translated elect. Uh, and the, 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 the first cousin to that or, or brother to that word is ekkeleo, the called out ones. So they're called out because God called them out. He, he chose them and he called them out to himself. That's the church. Um, 
the place where we worship is, is a place that's important to us, and we are told not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, and that's in the book of Hebrews, and we don't want to do that because there is strength in gathering and in an assembly. There's, there's a special bond and strength that the Lord knows is important to us, and, and so the, the early church is seen gathering in an assembly, first of all, at a porch in the temple area, then later on in houses, uh, so, so the church, that's us. That's, that's, that's the people. And I thank God, I'm thinking here, and to the messenger of the church in Sardis, right? The church in Sardis. Sardis was a place. There was a church in Sardis. Uh, probably met in someone's home, doesn't say. But the practice was in that early day was to meet in, uh, in people's homes. So I think one thing that we... That we gain appreciation of in this time of uh, pandemic as the church is, we appreciate the fact that we belong to each other. And we can belong to each other, as strange as it may seem, we can belong to each other here uh, on the internet, uh, on Facebook. Uh, those internet things can be used for vile purposes, but in this case it's used for wonderful purposes for the people of God to maintain contact and to maintain our bond as as best we can. So so just a little just a little sub study here on the doctrine of the church uh, that I just happened to think of while I was looking at the Greek word here on, on the text. But anyway, and to the messenger of the church in Sardis write these things says the one having the seven spirits of God. Now that that it's in a present it's in a present participle active but in the present active it means that he's the one who has it and he keeps on having it it never stops now jesus christ tells us something here he has and and utilizes or sends forth the Holy Spirit. Now, how can we how can we get that out of out of what he said? Uh, the seven spirits. Well, let's think about that for a minute. The seven spirits is actually a biblical reference to the seven sevenfold spirit, the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit. It's in Isaiah chapter eleven and uh, verse two, and I have that I have that up here. It says uh, just to the. It says, um, let me find. Uh, the seven, here it is, uh, it's just briefly, he's called the spirit of Yahweh, that's number one, spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of advice or counsel, the spirit of strength or the spirit of might, uh, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of Yahweh. So this is the, this is the uh, sevenfold description of the Holy Spirit in the book of Isaiah. All right, let's look at these things again. I remember he's addressing the church and he is giving us a new look at himself. He's unveiling himself this, this much farther. He's telling the church, I am the one who has the Holy Spirit. So you see, the son is submissive to the father. The spirit is submissive to the son. And the son, now he said, I will send the comforter. I will send the spirit, the Holy Spirit. So, the Spirit willingly 
submits to the direction of God the Son, who is Jesus Christ. So here is a church that is being that is receiving a further unveiling of Christ as you and I are, who is telling us that Christ is responsible for sending forth the work of the Holy Spirit. And he uses the term seven, which has to take us back to Isaiah 11. And then I'm looking here at other, I have over here on the side some, some other passages uh, that reference uh, the the seven the, the number seven the sevenfold spirit in the Revelation one in verse four uh, the seven spirits are seen as before the throne of God so they are before the throne of God and they and and the, the the sevenfold spirit the sevenfold power the sevenfold ministry or service whatever you want to say but the Holy Spirit is at the throne of God. Uh, under the direction of Jesus Christ. He says, I have the Holy Spirit. They're represented then over in the Revelation 4 and verse 5 as seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. And then in, uh, in the Revelation 5 and verse 6, the lamb stood as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. Okay, seven lamps, that speaks of uh, uh, the Spirit's presence and power. Uh, and matter of fact, the churches are depicted as lampstands that are on fire. They exist, at least, to hold a fire. A horn typifies um, power and authority. Eyes typify discernment uh, and to be able to see everything, seven eyes. Uh, to be able to see everything. So it's absolute discernment. So Jesus possesses the Holy Spirit without measure. That's the point. And this is a new unfolding of the truth of who God the Son is, known on earth as Jesus of Nazareth, but now appearing somewhat like the Ancient of Days, like the priest king, like the king priest, He's enthroned and yet he wears these glorious heavenly high priestly garments. And now he tells the church that he is in possession. He has the Holy Spirit. He will send. He will infuse. He will empower the church with the Holy Spirit as the church needs to be resourced, as the church needs to be gifted. This is what the church needs to accomplish its task uh, before the Lord. So... Um, when I, when I read all of this uh, together, I'm seeing that Jesus Christ is telling us a new thing about himself in the Revelation. And that is, namely, that the power of the Spirit is his to give to the churches. So, by, by, the, by the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, Jesus Christ sees everything and he knows everything. Okay, so he... He's, he's present with us and sees us at, uh, at all times. So in other words, if there's a problem at Sardis, Jesus says, I have the power to fix the problem. That's what he's saying. So he says, uh, let me go on down in this verse. He says, uh, seven and the seven stars. Uh, now those are the messengers. So... If he needs to send 
a, a messenger with the, the appropriate message for the church, then as Paul would write, that messenger would come so that the Spirit would use the messenger as sent by Christ to cleanse the church with the washing of the water of the Word. Okay? Uh, so he has, he, has the, he has the Holy Spirit and he's in charge of the messengers. He'll send them. I know your uh, works or deeds. I know your deeds. That you have... Uh, that you have the characterization, well, that you have the reputation or characterization that you are alive and yet you are dead. How would you like for Jesus to show up at the church and say, this is a dead church? I used to sing in a quartet for a few years and I remember when we'd walk in and sing our hearts out and Somebody from the quartet with, without any kind of response from anybody said, man, this is a dead church. I mean, I don't know that you measure life by how people respond to a song. That's just the way people do it in some, some settings. But Christ comes into the church and says, you know, you have a good name and your name is alive, but you're dead. Now, I, gotta, I have to tell this story. I've probably told it half a dozen times. But I gotta, it's a true story. It's a story about W.A. Criswell. He wrote in, in a book about the need for a church to be alive and, and to be zealous in all that it does for the Lord. And he said many years ago, of course, this would have been probably for us many years ago, he was uh, the, the special speaker at the Southern Baptist Convention, which was at uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And the big downtown church had invited him to preach the Sunday night message uh, the Sunday night before the convention would begin that week. And he said, along the way, I went into a restaurant. I was hungry. A, a handsome, happy young man met me at the parking lot, opened the door for me, thanked me for being there, escorted me to the door, and said he would park my car and bring my car back when I wanted it. He turned me over to a hostess who was a beautiful young lady, and uh, she said that she was going to seat me in the most comfortable place and turn me over to a very capable waitress. And so with all of the glow in her heart, she carried me to a table and told me the name of the waitress who would come and wait on me and this be another beautiful young lady, just real perky and happy and joyful and acted like she was so glad to be there and to help me. And she said, I want to help you all the way through your meal and I'll bring and I'll ask you and I'll make sure everything is right. And if something is not right, I'll see to it that it's made right. That's my job. And he said when he finished the meal and she kept coming back with her bright, happy smile, making sure that everything was right, that his food was right, cooked right, tasted right, uh, kept giving him the beverage that he needed for refill and brought him more bread if he needed it and kept checking on him. And finally she brought him the bill. He said, I have never been so willing and happy to pay a bill in my life. And he said, I felt so good about myself. I felt like I was on the top of the mountain. Then it was time for me to leave. 
and the waitress called over the hostess and she took me to the exit area and she was so happy and she said, if you'll just wait a minute, she said, our, our, our valet, he'll come and bring you your car. And he brought the car and he was happy, held the door open for me, thanked me for coming. They all thanked me for coming and wanted me to come back. And I closed the door. He closed the door for me and I made my way to the church. And when I got to the church, nobody was in the parking lot to welcome me. It all looked dull and dark. A church where I had never been before and I made my way out through a door and stumbled my way through hallways until finally I found the sanctuary. I had passed dozens of people, nobody said a word, glared at me a little bit. I went in and people just looked at me, nobody introduced them, himself to me. And finally, the pastor recognized me and came over and said, we are so happy you're here to preach for us. After our song service, you will have the pulpit. Begrudgingly, he said, after a dry and dead song service, I made my way to the pulpit. And I preached to cold, staring eyes. And I was so glad when the event was over and I had to find my way back out to an entrance where I finally found the lot where my car was parked and got into my car and he said, had they both extended an invitation that night, I would have joined the restaurant. <laughs> well, Criswell did a pretty good job of describing what a dead church <laughs> is. Christ also, by the introduction of himself and causing us to think about the seven spirits of God, also tells us something about the deadness of this church. So the church at Sardis, you'd have to say, is, is a dead church. Uh, a dead church. Now, it tells us the church, that Jesus intends for the church to be alive, not dead. And so he brings within himself that which they so desperately needed, which is namely an infusion of the Holy Spirit of God and the washing of the water of the word by the appropriate messenger, for he said he had the seven spirits of God and the seven messengers, the seven stars, who are the, he had the seven messengers in his hand. So he, he tells us then that he is, he's in charge of the message of the church, even down to the individual local church. And he is in charge of dispensing the Holy Spirit, sending the Holy Spirit, empowering churches with the Holy Spirit as he sees fit. And this is what he's saying to this church. Here's a church in Sardis that seems to be resting comfortably uh, within itself and preoccupied with other things, perhaps traditionalism and formalism. I, I don't know. You go on and on. But they had become spiritually dull to the point that Christ said they were dead. A dead church. Now they weren't scandalous, scandalously wicked. They were just dead. Dead things don't produce fruit. 
they don't they don't show any kind of life at all, and they certainly don't reproduce themselves. So this dead church needed the power and the fullness and the seven sevenfold perfection of the work of the Holy Spirit. And Christ was saying, I'm the only one who can give this to you. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. You can't fall down and beg the Holy Spirit for something. You have to beg Jesus to give you the kind of power that you need and send the Spirit to minister to you in the way that you need. So here's another, another unveiling, a further unveiling of the power of, of the Christ. Let's look at the next couple of verses. Be watching. That's, okay, let me stop there. Be watching. In the history of Sardis, this otherwise seemingly impregnable, invincible city with its unscalable cliffs, there were sentries posted at watch towers at certain places. Persia had come to invade Lydia and to take its wealth. But they couldn't find a way up there. So across the way from each sentinel's post, the Persian commander set spies as high as they could be situated to watch across the way. On a particular occasion, a Persian spy, a Persian soldier, saw a Lydian soldier bob off in sleep. And when he did, his helmet fell off. And when his helmet fell off, it, it plinked a few times down from where he was posted. And the noise and the fact that he had bobbed his head off woke him up. He climbed over, and which was, which was originally unseen, although still difficult to see, the Persian soldier noted that the Lydian soldier just walked down a pathway. He didn't scale or climb or do anything. He just went down what appeared to be a pathway. So he situated himself and he saw a narrow pathway that led all the way to a secret passageway that led all the way down to the foot of the cliff. So the Lydian soldier goes back up and takes his post. He runs to his commander. He says, I found a way for us to get in. All they had to do was wait for the guard to go to sleep. He always went to, he always bobbed off because he figured, he figured that things were always going to be like they were, that what he, done, what he did wasn't that particularly important uh, and that everything would just keep going like it's going and he lost his watchful care. He lost his guard. He lowered his guard. He went to sleep. That didn't happen once, but that happened twice in the history of, uh, of Lydia. Well, Jesus says, be watching. There's never a time in the life of a church where we should not be watchful. Our enemy, as a, as a, the devil, as a roaring lion, Paul writes, walketh about seeking whom he may desire. He never, he doesn't sleep. He, he's a demon. He doesn't, he's an old fallen angel. He doesn't need sleep. He seems to have endless and boundless energy. 
and he's always watching to destroy us. And we have to be ever watchful. How can you be watchful? Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. Don't ever forsake the study of the Word. Make sure that it is a, uh, that it is a structured uh, study of the Word and that you don't leave any of it out and the whole thing will strengthen you and build spiritual muscle on top of spiritual muscle and you'll be able to see a red flag in your heart and discern trouble when it's coming. But you can't be asleep and you can't, you can't just think of things as normal and ordinary. You have, to keep, you have to keep an eye out and you have to keep studying the Word. And then you have to expect that the Word will continue to be presented to you and every time it's presented, there's always a new challenge there somewhere because the Word of God is alive. The writer to the Hebrews writes, sharper than a two-edged sword. It lives. And it bears witness with the spirit of born-again believers. Be watching and strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die. Well, okay, the church is comatose. The church the church. Looks dead, but it's in an ICU about to die. For I've not found your works having been completed in the sight of my God. You haven't finished your work. Do we ever? I have not found your works having been completed in the sight of of my God. It's in the middle voice and it's in the accusative. It's, uh, it's kind of a thing that uh, you're, you're, you're going to have to keep doing what you're doing because you're slipping or go back to what you were doing and that takes up verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard, okay? They have received resources and gifts from the Holy Spirit. All of us as the body of Christ are gifted in some way. I don't have gifts that other have, others have, but God puts us all together because we, and we need each other. We are the body of Christ. And so each of us has a, a special spiritual gift and Jesus knows what it is and he puts us together. Uh, and Christ is the head of his church. Sometimes... And it's painful when it happens, but sometimes Christ, we reach a point in our ministry where Christ determines that some, the gifts of some people are, are needed in another place and we need another kind of gift. So he may take some away and bring others in. It's just, you know, that he's the head of the church. He can do what he wants to do with his church, but our work has never been completed. Now, the work that we're called to do and equipped to do right now, what is it, 2020, in the year 2020, isn't the same work that, that Shiloh was called to do 20, 25 years ago. It's a different world. It's a different setting. And the membership is a lot different. And the maturity level uh, and the understanding of, of the membership is, is a lot different than it was. We have to understand this. We stay in the Word and plead before Christ to give us His Holy Spirit as He sees fit and to cause us to exercise the gifts that, that are within us. So, I've not found your works completed in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, 
what you have received, the spiritual gifts, and what you have heard, the word of God. Don't, don't move away from that. And guard it. Tere. That's a, that's a military word. Guard it. And guard it. What you have received and what you have heard, guard, guard it. And repent. So if, well, you could say therefore. Therefore, if you shall not watch, there's that word again, to watch. That's, that's a word that's used for night watch. If you're not on the night watch, if you're not vigilant, if you're not sober and awake watching, understanding there's, a, there's an enemy and he's very, very smart and he's powerful. But the Spirit of God in us, armed with the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, he enables us to stand against the enemy, okay? But if you don't stand night watch, if you don't watch, I will come like a thief. And no, and there's a double negative again in the Greek. And no, you shall not know at what hour I will come upon you. Hmm. Well, that doesn't sound good. Christ will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. Well, he says to me, he says, wake up. Your work's not through. Your work's not completed. This dead church is marked by at least five failures here when I consider the whole, the whole passage of Scripture. Number one, she was asleep on duty and was not being watchful in the world where she lived. That's number one. Um, well, let's see. Number two, she was growing weaker instead of stronger. She's about to die. And that's not the way a church lives. Uh, incomplete. So she'd stop, she'd stop short of finishing her work. Didn't stay at it. Remember, he said, and repent. She'd forgotten. She'd so forgetful of what she had received and what she had heard. And the last one I see in this passage, she wasn't guarding what she had. Jesus said, guard this. My goodness. We have to be watchful in prayer and in Bible study. We have to be strong in the Spirit. We have to be on fire by the Spirit. We have to be careful guardians of the work and ministry of our Lord in the world where he has put us to faithfully serve him and never fall asleep. If you will not wake up, they were asleep, you see. I'm coming like a thief. You don't know what hour I'm coming. Christ threatened to make an unexpected, um, an unexpected inspection like a commander does of his troops to see if the church at Sardis was asleep while they were on duty. If they were not watchful, if they were asleep, the enemy could invade and destroy the church. 
So he calls the church to repent. So now I'm looking down here and he, he, he says, strengthen that which is about to die. A, you know, a corpse can look real dignified. You know how people say, don't he look natural? I've heard them say, looks like he ought to just open his eyes and get up from there. A corpse can look very natural and dignified, but it's dead. Churches can be the same way. Can look real good. Even look natural in some ways. But life can have left it. The Spirit of Christ gives life to a church. And that life is so vitally needed in every, in every generation and in every place in the world, the power of the Holy Spirit. So I can just see Jesus shaking the church, saying, wake up, wake up. A dead church. Well, let me go back to verse four here. He says, there were a few. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me Ooh. in white. That's the robe of purity and it's the color robe of acceptance with God. Because they are, uh, I guess it would be worthy, because they are deserving, they are, they're worthy. The one, well, the overcomer, I think is what King James says, the one overcoming, the victorious one, thus will be clothed in white garments. And here's a double negative again. That means it can't ever happen. And I will know not ever blot his name from the book of life. I get amused sometimes. There is nothing there in that sentence, that phrase, that hints, that even hints of a name being blotted out of the book of life. As a matter of fact, it is, it is the absolute opposite. And it's in a double negative. I will not never blot his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Okay, I've learned a few more things about Jesus here. He controls the book of life. He has secured the book of life. And so our names cannot never be blotted out. That's by the power and word of Christ. So that's security for us. And then I further learn here that in some, in some unfathomable way, the Son will confess my name to the Father and His angels. Huh. The one having an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, 
A lot of the people at Sardis were polluted, apparently, with compromise, with error, with carelessness, with, with uh, they, were, they were spiritually asleep. They weren't guarding what they were supposed to have. Their garments were soiled, obviously. They were not walking with Jesus because he said the others would walk with him. Mm. But the messenger had a few with which he could work, through whom he could work, in order to strengthen that which remained. All right, well, we're through then with uh, the church at Sardis. And uh, we'll close with prayer. Father God in heaven, Lord, God, as you look upon the church that is us, oh, Father, may we ever be watching and on guard and never asleep and may we be alive and not dead. And may we look forward to the happy walk that we will have for you and hear the great confession of our name that you would make before your Father and his angels. Bless us, we pray. Keep us from harm. Lord, look over our church, our families, and our nation now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.